0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh.
1: I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures.
2: We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters... Vibrant NPCs and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. From today's sponsor. Hey everybody, Mr. Dave here. I want to tell you all about Oh Mr. Dave, Mr. Dave! Hey Arnold, what can I do for you? I was just about to tell everybody all about the show. That's why I'm here. I thought of the wonderful way to do the commercial. Oh yeah? What's that? In song. It's educational. It's sensational. It's our puppet invitational to join us each week for some fun sit back and relax. Grab some popcorn, or some snacks, and get ready for the show. Sing along and get to know the sensation across the nation. It's a music-filled vacation. All your senses will be worrying and your brains will be stirring. It's the show you'll want to say. It's Fun Time with Mr. Dave. That was a great idea, Arnold. You can find Fun Time with Mr. Dave on Facebook and Instagram at Dave the Entertainer. And on YouTube, by searching Mr. Dave with an exclamation mark. See you next time.
0: Welcome to today's episode. Today, we are going to be looking into another of the d and d fifth edition classes, this one based on feedback from our Twitter and Facebook communities. Today we're going to be breaking down all of the subclasses in the Sorcerer class from 5th edition. And I know that I am really, really excited to be getting in here. Uh, this is definitely a class that the three of us agreed we wanted to go ahead and talk about. And the fact that it was the, uh, f- the far and away number one class that, uh, that our fans and our audience wanted us to go ahead and talk about uh, was was really great also. Um, So just like every other episode on uh, classes that we've done, we are going to go in book order. Um, So we're going to start with the player's handbook. We're going to go into uh, Sword Coast, Xanathar's, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything in that order and in the order that they're in those books. And we're going to go ahead and break down these subclasses using a variety of criteria we're going to judge their mechanic strength and their narrative strength to determine kind of how uh, how well balanced are they in kind of both of those aspects we're going to talk about how much we want to play characters uh, of this subclass or have played characters of the subclass uh, before um, and then finally, we give ourselves a, a pool of wild card points uh, that we can use if we don't like the score that comes out from the other three criteria for a particular subclass. We can uh, we can move uh, its average score up or down uh, a little bit here. Uh, and in the show notes, we're going to include uh, kind of our final breakdown of how each of us ranked uh, the the seven subclasses that are in the sorcerer class, uh, because. Boy, everybody out there, strap in because this is, you know, with the rogues and with the rangers, we all pretty much agreed in broad terms about where the strengths of those classes were and were not, um, and what we liked and what we didn't like. Y'all, this one's all over the map. I don't think that very any of us very different reviews <laughs> up yeah. and down up and down the list. So before we get started, uh Glenn, Lewin. Glenn Lewanika, are there any? Uh, is there anything that you want to say before we get into the actual breakdown of the subclasses itself?
2: I love you guys, and I'll still love you. In
0: <laughs> I still, I still love you, no matter how wrong you are. Exactly. Yeah. We have previously said that it is
1: the job of every member at a game table to understand and recognize that you are playing as a group, and that we are each individually responsible for keeping the group together and having fun and finding ways to be together. So at the end of this, we will be together. <laughs> the conflict you're about to witness <laughs> is the road we're traveling to get to that point of together. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. all right. I value the opinions you're about to hear, even the ones I disagree with.
2: And I was playing into the potential drama, but I'm actually going to make a prediction. I predict that most of our differences on the sorcerer class is going to be about personal preference for the style of flavor we're into yeah because i think all three of us love the sorcerer class and think it's wicked cool and from there it's just going to come down to the bones of which pieces spoke to who the most
1: that's a really good prediction yep. uh i i think you're probably spot on so yep. not going to disagree with you on that uh let's see where they where the dice lay yep, um, absolutely yeah with right. that our powers are growing we <laughs> feel the magic welling within us Mm.
0: And let us begin to talk Sorcerer. <laughs> let's start with the first one in the player's handbook. And this is the Draconic Bloodline Sorcerer. Lewanika, let's, let's start with you. Uh, where did you rank it? So this came up a lot lower than I would have thought
1: it would have for me. And part of the reason is we are ranking top to bottom. Out of the seven there are, where does it fit within the seven? And it surprised me that it came out as low as it did, but I get it. This is the sorcerer I think of when I think about sorcerers. When you think about inherent power, latent power, somebody with a draconic bloodline is exactly what I think about. And I think the abilities here speak to that. It does give you that feeling, uh, but there is something I think that is inherently missing compared to the sorceress origins that we saw in 3.5. I think it just is missing a little piece just a wee little piece that made me feel it had all the flavor. It's there. It's solid. I've played one. I wouldn't mind playing another one. I think it's a good, good subclass. It's those little things where it doesn't quite see, give me that nudge to positive
0: that makes it fall f- a bit flat. Yep. I would absolutely agree with you, uh, in that I feel like where and I actually ranked this this subclass uh, lower than you did. This was, uh, it was my lowest ranked subclass, but only by a, by a quarter of a point. So not by very much. It was very much kind of in that bottom tier, though. I feel like the the reason why that is is because I felt like this subclass was mechanically very weak. Uh, I feel like the powers that this subclass gets are expensive and come with very significant drawbacks. I mean, think about when, at level 14, when the Draconic Bloodline Sorcerer gets the ability to sprout wings. There's a very key point in the description that says... Unless they have armor which has been built to accommodate them, they can't wear armor when they sprout their wings. Now, if you compare that to a subclass that we're going to talk about later, which also gets the same power at the same level, doesn't have that restriction, right? So it's really just that's that's just a mechanical difference between this and something else. You know what else does it get? So you know when it. it, at its inception, it gets uh, a nice hit point bonus and a nice AC bonus that carries throughout the entire thing. That's great. It gets stronger spells at level six. That's great. But what does it get at level eighteen? It gets the basically the ability to to fear to to cast fear and intimidate its opponents. But it costs five sorcery points to do it. Now at level it eighteen, I did I, I did the math on this. Yeah, I did the math on this. And at level eighteen, I think you've got eighteen sorcery points which means that you can cast intimidate three times as an 18th level sorcerer and that, and that's its big bonus at level 18, just mechanically, mechanically very weak for me.
2: Glenn. Yeah. Okay. Fair. And I'm going to kind of land in the middle. Actually, It's not really the middle so much, but so I think it's got cool flavor. Uh, I agree that it's mechanics are weak, but I'm going to be honest and upfront that usually mechanics um, are, are about the last thing that I look at, just in terms of the type of role player that I am and the way that I build characters. If it's got the mechanics to be strong, great. But usually I've decided on its concept far before I've thought about how much damage it's going to do when it gets to level 18. Um, but I love the point about how expensive it is and the contrast between another one that gets it at the same level. Uh, for the dr- Draconic Bloodline um, The first line of my notes was nothing wrong with the original flavor, because when Sorcerers came out, that's that was the main kind of storyline behind it. And back then, the only other option to have any kind of connection to dragons was if your DM was going to allow you to play a half dragon at the advanced rule set with the negative levels for playing a monstrous character class. And it was chaotic and hard to get somebody to agree to. And honestly, it was a little overpowered to be a half dragon at that point in the game. So it gave you that first opportunity to really be connected to the almighty dragons, you know, and it's there was definitely a cool hotness to that. It's got a lot of narrative flavor and the fact that you get to connect to a specific color of dragon, which affects your abilities and your powers. All of that. I did really like that. Narratively yeah. is awesome. What I think they needed to do is when they expanded on the sorcerer concept and they come up with all of the other ones, they needed to show the draconic bloodline a little love. And buff it up a little bit when they put it beside the rest of these guys, and maybe we'll see that in a future edition where they they give it a little bit of a makeover. But I think the Draconical kind of bloodline, I I placed it solid middle, uh, middle to the upper end. You know, I think it's I think it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I definitely ranked it down because of uh, mechanics. Like I said, it's a class, It's a subclass I've played. It's a subclass I'll probably play again. The flavor keeps me coming back. Compared to the
0: rest, nope. <laughs> very, it's very run of the mill.
1: Yeah. And the
2: way that I adjust that in my games is I'll take the character who's playing a draconic bloodline sorcerer, and I'm going to add to them the pieces that are missing. I feel to help it become cooler.
1: Exactly what a storyteller needs to do.
2: Until Wizards puts out a new version, you know, we're just going to keep on brewing it ourselves.
1: If you see something that has the flavor, homebrew the mechanics. If mm-hmm. you see something that has the mechanics, homebrew the flavor.
0: You're making the meal. Set it up the way you need to make it set up. Right. All right. So if we're talking about homebrewing and flavor, the next sorcerer subclass, the next sorceress origin is the wild magic sorcerer. Now.
2: Really teed up that segue, didn't we?
0: It's like we're professionals or something. I love this subclass because I love wild magic. I think that Wild Magic is one of the most exciting portions of the game. I think that it can have fabulous, unforeseen, and miraculous effects. And it can bring a level of fantastic chaos. Makes me weep as a storyteller sometimes. It's just fun, right? Now, that being said, I'm not sure that this implementation of a sorcerer is fantastic. And for the most part, where this store this sorcerer lost points for me was in uh was again in in that mechanic I mean it's like when you're looking at like level 14 and by a level 14 wild mage sorcerer by rule they're just starting to get a modicum of control of their powers you know that character is three quarters of the way through their total progression and they're just kind of maybe starting to understand how to use their own powers that right. seemed a little bit uh incorrect <laughs> yeah so. I'm gonna let Glenn go go next on
1: okay. this one because I'm gonna go. I want to go third because there's a piece of this that, that will surprise a lot of folks, and even some spoilers for my current campaigns.
2: So I love wild magic. Um, it's connected to the Feywild. It's part of the chaos of the universe. Um, I don't play lawful characters very often. I like chaos. I like the chaotic. I like the random. I like the fun of the wild magic, um, but. And while I didn't break down the mechanics uh, to, you know, like an actual ability level, just looking at it for its overall feel, I don't think they've done it justice. I think it could be so much more. I think that it should have a bigger bonus up front. That's whether it's in terms of to draw you to it. Why would you want to be this type of sorcerer? You know, whether it's a higher difficulty saving throw at lower levels. So you're uh, something that indicates your magic's more powerful, but it has this side effect. That's a drawback, but the drawback should trigger every time, in my opinion. You know, so like a light mod magical effect that you never know exactly what's going to happen. Where every time the wild magic sorcerer has to cast a spell, well, maybe not even every time, but at least 75% something. Come up with some a number set where nothing happens, a number set where some cool but mostly harmless effects happen just for fun and flavor, and then, you know, like the crit number set that moves you to the table where something serious happens. That would add more flavor and a greater mechanical draw to it, in my opinion, while adding the drawback, because I like that too. I don't like black and white easy choices. I like the idea of if you're going to get something cool, that's great, but this is what you've got to deal with to go along with it. And wild magic has the potential to do that in spades, but it does just doesn't pull it off. I play one anyway though. Cause I think it's awesome.
1: Yep. So I can say for a fact, I love wild magic. I can say for a fact that the, one of the greatest single characters I have ever played is a wild magic user. And I say is because on some levels I still play this character. He is very involved in the current campaigns I run, this original character. That's as much spoiler as I'm giving for that. Wild Magic in second edition when it came out was infinitely more serious, or at least it felt that way to me. Me too. The chart, which I believe was larger, had more serious implications. And to Glenn's point, there were, you got bonuses and at the risk of better chance of hitting things on this chart.
2: Oh darn, you just got reincarnated as a bullfrog. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, so it was like, I could go for more power or I could leave it normal and increase my odds of having, uh, of what could happen. So you were doing a trade-off. You were making this Faustian deal with the weave, so to speak. And I loved that concept. That narratively to me was amazing. That said, from third edition on, I have not liked Wild man because it devolved into the silly. And every time I've ever seen it used, it was about, oh, pink unicorns popped out and flew around or there are buzzards. The only game I have been at a table where my wild magic stuff happened that was cool, narratively informative and fun, even though it went against my character, was at Glenn's table about a year and a half ago when there was a wild magic storm that happened and my character, who's a spellcaster, did something, and all of a sudden everybody was floating or had all of these effects that impacted the geography of the uh, of the battlefield. It was
2: a dynamic battle map. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so it was one of those things. Where Every time they cast wi- a spell, yeah, that was wild magic. Well done. I don't think anything in the PHB does that well. Uh, I think it may be a single one of 100 things that you could possibly roll that might happen. So in the course of a campaign, level one through 20, the odds of that happening, once, out of a whole bunch of nonsense. And it just generally devolves into silliness. And I absolutely despise that, which is why I ranked it as low as I think you possibly could. I gave it the lowest ranking for mechanics. I gave it the lowest ranking for flavor. Even the wild card, my love for the tradition of wild magic is the only reason I ranked it nearly as low as you could rank it for wild card and i gave it the lowest ranking i could
0: possibly give it for whether or not i want to play it i just don't like the class interesting so so your your take on the flavor if i'm understanding it had less to do with whether or not you think the flavor is good or whether there's a lot of flavor but more that you don't like the flavor this subclass brings
2: exact or more you don't like the flavor that the subclass has brought to the games that you've played in based on the other characters sitting around the table in the storyteller.
1: That is a very accurate depiction statement.
2: Cause it doesn't have to be cartoony. Like I don't do it. cartoon. Sometimes it can be goofy, but you know, depends on what the story needs.
1: Yeah. And I think Glenn, you said it best, Josh spot on Glenn, great expansion on that spot on statement in that my issue is I've just never seen it done in a way that I thought was fun for me or fun for the games. And it draws me to never want to play that thing again. And the only reason why I still use it in that one character I spoke about is because guess what? I'm the one controlling it so I can control how that works and how that comes across so I can do things closer to what Glenn is doing. I think that's, it says a lot. And I think it- And thank it, you. It makes a lot. You're very welcome. I was doing this game beforehand, but it really made me feel better about what I was doing. So it just doesn't speak to me at all and 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 that's a shame because i can i I think when we're done with this entire series, this is probably the only one I'm ever going to say that about
0: other than that, how's the play Mrs. Lincoln
1: so so the act two wasn't all that <laughs> <laughs> um all right, i thought sorry, it was I quite to... impactful
2: i no. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, wild magic for an entire campaign as a player would be a lot if you did it the way that I envision wild magic. So I do like it better from a narrative standpoint, from a storyteller standpoint, from what I can add to the battle scene or what's going on in the environment standpoint.
1: From a player. What you're basically saying is I am seeding a great deal of my agency. And that, that that's an issue uh, for me. I mean, maybe other people are happy to let go of it, I'm not. Agency is something I care deeply about as a player and and it's something I focus deeply on as a storyteller. Mm
0: -hmm. If you look at my notes and hand check, I'm not typing. The very last thing that I say, I just think they're very difficult to play correctly and to positive effect. NPCs? Absolutely.
2: That's exactly (laughs) what we're talking about right now.
0: I, I for one, am just not good at tossing up that
1: kind of agency. In second edition, because it happened when you chose to go for extra power Or with a specific type of critical role, Mm -hmm. you were never giving up your agency. You made a choice to risk it. And that I like.
2: That's a mechanic that's missing too in the current rules. Absolutely.
1: It's not a choice to risk it. It's always there. And that's like, why would you ever do that? Why would you ever risk having to cast a life-saving spell and end up with pink flowers and and, and a rainbow sunset? Why would you ever do that? Like,
0: I would just stop casting magic. Well, which is actually kind of an interesting character concept.
1: Unless you're a traveling minstrel or in a show or a circus where something like that is not life threatening, unless it goes wrong, and then you got to boogie at it down.
2: Super specific narratively.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't work. What? Shucking. We've never said that before, and in fact, Glenn, thank you again for setting up so the next subclass that we're talking about, I think all of us said exactly the same thing about. So the next one uh, originally appeared in Sword Coast, eventually was rolled into Xanathar's, um, and it's the Storm Sorcery origin. Um, and Glenn, that was exactly what my comment was about this subclass, and like we have made the comment about so many other subclasses uh, when we talked about them in the Rangers and the Rogues, is that this there is nothing wrong with the this subclass narratively or, or, or mechanically or anything like it's a perfectly well-balanced subclass. I actually think it's more well-balanced than, uh, than some other ones. Most. And if you're not in the right game or you're not in the right setting, this subclass is less cool. It's less, it's less good. It's less good. It's worse. I think less good is actually grammatically
2: correct. It is definitely badder. It is badder.
0: <laughs> it's better. It's badder. Yeah, I love the ability. And, You know, and honestly, this character—it's Raiden. It's you know from um, from from Big Trouble in Little China. Remember the the, the Thunder Twins, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like that's. Or from Mortal Kombat. Char- oh, for Mortal Kombat, absolutely. Which you know we're going to be doing a side quest about Mortal Kombat soon. This subclass is is great. It's mm-hmm. got a ton of narrative feel, but boy, you know, all of its right. powers have to do with lightning. So right oh, and thunder. Oh, so God forbid you're going up against a creature that's got lightning resistance because, like, basically you've got a sorcerer that, you know, is going to be able to stab him with a well, dagger. You and also have your it.
1: thunder damage, so you do have some duality. See, and, and I was thinking <laughs> of, uh, what's his name, Sean William Scott in uh, The Rundown. Want a little thunder? A little bit of yeah.
2: lightning? That was, that was fun. <laughs> some
1: lightning? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah we went wow. deep on that one.
2: Wow. Yeah. So I I agree. Narrative flavor, it's got it in spades in the right environment, in the right campaign, in the right setting. But it's also kind of tropey and getting a little bit overplayed. One of my comments was that between the Storm Herald Barbarian and the Storm Sorcerer with a Barbarian tribe, you could have Thor and Loki. I mean, you can just play out Norse mythology. And it's cool if that's what you're doing. I also really liked one of the things they put in there about uh, how clutch a storm sorcery person would be in a nautical campaign on a boat, having the ability Mm -hmm. to control the wind and stuff. And from that perspective, because I'm currently weather manipulation and running a piratey themed kind of campaign, I really dug that flavor. But if I weren't doing that campaign right now, it probably wouldn't have spoken to me as much.
1: So here's my
2: thought in any environment,
1: save a desert, this is cool. I think this is more universal than you're thinking, because if you think about any environment, the fact that there's storms there and those kinds of things, this is a weather type event that you're going to have.
2: Dude, I already did this as a cleric once.
1: Yes, you did. Um, heck, I mean. And
2: then it was never cloudy again. Ever. But
1: even in a desert, they, that's where blue dragons are. So you get lightning in the desert. So I think that it's a little more universal than you're giving it credit for. Very possibly. I agree that it is much tropy, uh, or as tropy as you're also stating that it is. So I kind of with you there, I came up with a slightly higher one because it is the type of character that I see myself playing. It's the type of character that I want to build. I have a couple builds in mind utilizing that, that it works really well for. And I'm looking forward greatly to playing that character. But like you said, I think, the mechanics worked really well for the storm sorcerer i ranked it very high there because consistently level by level i liked these mechanics better than almost everybody else each level i thought was good if not better and certainly playable usable and i didn't think there was a throwaway uh i didn't feel any of them were throwaways i found i said I would use that at that level. I didn't feel any of them were blatantly out of level with what was good and which happens with at least one feature for almost every other uh subclass
0: of any kind let
1: alone sorcerer.
0: So the next one is uh another subclass from Xanathar's and you know Glenn it's, you are you are definitely setting me up here because you just said a second ago about how um, the 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 storm sorcerer, weather manipulation cleric uh, power that you had. Now we've got the divine soul, and the divine soul is really one of these crossover subclasses. It is holy sorcerer soul, Batman.
2: Sorry, couldn't help it. Yeah.
0: That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine, that's fine. Yeah, what, what was it? You put in your sh- in your notes. It's a sorcerer cleric, Sorcer cleric, Sorceric cleric. <laughs> yeah, you know it, it is. It is. We have seen these again in in other in other classes where. I'm a rogue, but my subclass is scout, so I'm really a ranger you know it's the, it's that kind of thing and here we are i'm a sorcerer but i basically tap into uh, divine power like a cleric and all of my all of my special abilities are are healing or 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 that kind of thing this is the subclass that i was talking about earlier in comparison to the draconic bloodline so the draconic bloodline at level 14 gets wings can't wear armor unless the armor is specifically crafted to uh, to house their wings Divine Soul, what's Divine Soul get at 14? They also get wings. They get ethereal angel wings uh, without all the negatives of being a Draconic Bloodline Sorcerer. Um, so, you know, I think that that is one of those things that kind of set this one above uh, above the Draconic Bloodline uh, for me. But at the end of the day, this is not what I think about when I think Sorcerer. And so it lost a lot of points for me on whether or not I wanted to uh, whether or not I had any interest in playing that. And I ranked it Far lower than either of you two, uh, fine, distinguished gentlemen.
1: So I'm going to jump in second here on this one, if you don't mind, Glenn. It's cool. Um, It's cool. I will freely admit great bias here. Of all the character classes and subtypes, the most frequently played by a resident of my household is this. I have played two. My 14-year-old son has played a total of three. My son has played that at Glenn's table He's, played, he's playing that at my table, uh, and he has played that in AL games. Uh, 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 his third one was when he played in AL games. It's his favorite class and subclass mix, and I absolutely love this subclass. I like it because of the mechanics. I like it because of the flavor. I like it with its story options, like... You can be this inherent powerful being that isn't a cleric, but has this divine, nice, this divine origin, this positive origin. By the way, the rules allow for other types of things, uh, as well, which I thought is a masterstroke in how to allow diversification of a subclass. Uh, the way they have, you could choose chaos. You could choose law. You could choose those things. I think that was absolutely brilliant mechanically. Why it ranks so very high in that regard. It's just fun. My family loves this this class. There's a a danger, though, that I want to point out, and Glenn will know know this danger because it happened at one of his tables. If you're a storyteller and you have a player who wants to play these, make sure he's not stepping on somebody else's toes. There was a cleric in our party who very early on realized because there was a divine soul played by my son and, and... a uh, celestial warlock played by me at the table, he felt unneeded. Yep. It's, so, as a storyteller, when you're doing your session zero, and I think we were all, all of us, myself and Glenn, were both very new at first edi- at fifth edition at that
2: point. My first fifth edition game ever. Right. I didn't even know what a warlock was yet.
1: Yeah, and that was my, f- and I had been playing uh, Adventure League for about three months when that started. So, I hadn't figured that out yet. I had just seen both this and the warlock done a couple times and said that sounds like it'd be a blast to play. So I made one for this game. Just as a storyteller, be aware of roles. If you're if you've got players playing these cross-class types of subclasses, you need to make sure that the player playing the actual class is okay with it. Yep. Understands what they're getting into. So that's a word of caution, not a word of detriment the class and the subclass are amazing by
2: talking about party roles. You're going to help me segue right into my biggest takeaway for it or part of it anyway. Uh, so nicely teed up. Thank you very much. Um, I think the divine soul is awesome. I think it is exactly what the game needed. Um, I think that when you're looking at party roles, what's the one that's hardest to fill.
0: It's the cleric. That's true.
2: It's We're often the main healer because yeah. people don't want to play a cleric. And a cleric's the main healer option. And it's been the true main healer option for a long time. You can get by with a druid. You can get by with a paladin. You can get by with a ranger. Ideally, if you have one of those, though, you've got two of them. You know, it's like they're backup healers, not the full-blown deal. Though the druid can be. Creating another class type with a different set of flavor that's not necessarily tied to book learning at the church and rituals and being an alkalite, where instead you have a more direct connection to whatever celestial being you work with that allows you to have a full-blown healer because as they choose their spells, they can choose any spell from the clerical spell list. Also has other magical abilities that other that satisfies the character for the other things that they want to do. They're not just locked into divine magic. Now, mind you, you don't get as many spells with a sorcerer. Uh, so it does make you pretty specialized. If you're going to go the full healer, okay, but you're probably not going to be able to be an evoker and and an enchanter. You're going to have to be like healer evoker, or you know, your secondary spell list is going to be pretty specialized for how you want to do it. But there's so much potential there for you to be able to play the main healer without being locked into the cleric role that I think it's 100% what the game needed. Yep, that's a very, very fair point.
0: I think
1: that's the reason why the game has so many cross-class subclasses. I think the idea is, is that 5th edition, more so than 3rd and previous editions, are about smaller parties. Mm-hmm. In 2nd edition, we frequently operated with parties of 8 or more. In 3rd edition, right. That's why it, we're seeing was, more hybrids. it was about 6 to 8 was, was where it is. 5th edition, I see a lot of tables comfortably 4 to 6. So if you're doing 4 to 6, you're going to need... Uh, A spellcaster, and if nobody takes it as a primary, either an Eldritch Knight or an Arcane Trickster
2: or both is a serious consideration for those two roles. Four to six by rules is the average party size.
1: Uh, You got to cover that ground. You know, sidekick rules help in that regard, things like that. But uh, magic items can help in that regard. If you're playing a game that is based in gritty realism, uh, you're going to need more than just the cleric anyway. So having a backup healer who's competent or has a different resource pool or can, in the case of the Divine Soul Sorcerer, twin a healing spell (laughs) is pretty impressive.
0: Let's move on to the last subclass featured in Xanathar's. And this is uh, this was this is the Shadow Magic Sorcerer. None of us ranked it particularly high, all of us again kind of middle of the road with actually with Glenn being a little bit lower than than us. Um I am going to toss right out there that man, here is another subclass getting dark vision at inception. And I am I am just sick. (laughs) I'm sick and tired of characters getting dark vision. I like I almost I, I almost felt like taking points off just for that. But I didn't. I I I let that one go.
2: Yeah, I've given up on that one. We're just beating a dead horse.
0: We're just beating a dead horse on that one, which would be totally a Shadow Magic Sorcerer thing to do, but that's a separate issue. One second. I have to stop you in just a moment. I just got to check with you on this. This is very important. Okay.
1: Did you, did I miss something? Or did you say that this subclass has dark vision? Yeah. Like,
0: like it actually has it? Yeah. I didn't. Wow. It's so, that's so rare. With dark vision. A subclass with dark vision. I know. Wow. Right? Who would have thought it? Jeez.
2: Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs>
0: Ultimately I think the biggest drawback to this subclass though is that it is a sorcery point burning machine. Every single skill that it wants to use uh except for its uh its overpowered version of misty step that it gets at level 14 just takes an insane amount of s- sorcery points to use. Which, you know, that's what this subclass is built on. Is that that it really Everything uses that mechanic. Um, and it gets some cool stuff, but it's like you've just, it, it really comes down to how can you budget your use of sorcery points to make this character effect.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's uh, management is a challenge with this particular uh, subclass. I love the Shadowfell. I want more stuff of it. I don't think this does a great job of bringing it to the fore. Yep. I think it, it does not. I agree. I think it has it in name, and you can very easily homebrew it, pull it into that role, and do a lot with it. It's a nice shadow-felled canvas upon which a good, uh, a, a good storyteller and, a, and an active and engaged player can paint. But it's not all there on its own, and I would like a subclass to be a little more all there.
0: Even just the fact that one of its major abilities, it doesn't get until third level. So you pick up this origin at first level, you get dark vision, but you and then at level three, you get the ability to spend two points and uh, get that sphere of darkness. And it's got like strange restrictions on when and how you can use that, which are a little weird. But why not just give it to them at first level? Like why, if this is the Shadow Fell Sorcerer, why is it that important to go ahead and space that out? I think the mechanical answer to that is balance the number of sorcery points
1: are so low at that level that they didn't want to make that choice uh, too difficult for the players to make. So it's like, give it to them later when they have enough points, so it's not such a bad thing.
0: Oh, no, that's fair. They don't have any sorcery points at first level, so that's why. Yeah. 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 Nope, that's a...
1: Yeah. I I
0: think the answer to that is, and maybe
1: this is what it's missing mechanically, if you're going to build a resource hog, you got to feed the pig. So maybe... The first level ability is you, unlike any other sorcerer, because of your innate connection with the Shadowfell, have an extra point or an extra pair of points.
2: Right. You're setting it up as an ability right off the gut.
1: You don't even have anything at first level to spend uh, other than this ability to spend them on. So now it's not even a challenge as far as what it can be used on because you don't have any features that you can spend sorcerer points on. And I think that Now you're giving this mechanically something that would certainly have made me rank this higher because now you're getting something that other subclasses aren't getting. Now you're getting a way to use them. And if you're giving them those extra points, let's say they get two points at first level and then, I don't know, they get an extra one point for every level they get at points. They're acknowledging that this is a very powerful thing, but its connection to this other realm is stronger. And that's why they're getting these extra points. So they're going to be able to do what they do more than other uh, casters. But what you do to balance it is, is the abilities they already have. Their abilities take more. So yes, you have more resource, but everything you do costs more. So the balance is inherent in the abilities as long as you provide them a little earlier and provide a little bit more. And now that we're having this discussion, that seems to me if somebody wanted to play one, That seems to me the homebrew that I would build into my table to make sure that this was a viable uh, subclass to play.
2: Well, that's exactly what you do when you're sitting down at character generation in the beginnings of your session zero and you have a character who wants to play something like this. And they say, I really dig this. What do you think? Well, that's your opportunity to talk to them about their ideas on it. And you start working it into your campaign from that point. So that's why from a storyteller perspective, I can work with any of these because all of them are awesome in the right scenario or with the right narrative pieces built in. They're all perfect. It's just some of them are oddly specific. So if you have a couple of characters who go in different directions and you've got one character that you're now weaving shadow magic into your campaign storyline for, and then you have somebody else who goes with something completely different uh, say the underdark and then you've got the planeswalker ranger class so you got another guy who wants to do the outer planes you know that's where creating these is so specific starts to limit things is it it can limit what the players can want to do because two things don't really yeah, work that's together yeah,
1: absolutely
2: but i did like its flavor i mean it's full of sulfuric flavor and acrid smells of you know what have you but it'd go well with the gothic lineages and originally, I thought this is what I was going to make my hex blood. But to be fair, looking at the mechanics, like y'all said, I didn't like it, so I wound up going in a different direction.
0: Ooh, but a Dom Fear
1: with shadow magic—that wouldn't—that mm-hmm. wouldn't be the worst thing that you could come up with.
2: There's lots of ways you could go with it, especially with the new Ravenloft book coming out.
1: Or perhaps a feat like uh, that has extra sorcerer points involved.
0: Yeah, I mean that—that's ultimately that's the one drawback I think to the sorcerer in general. <sighs> Okay, I think actually there are a couple of drawbacks to the Sorcerer class in general Um, And the the first one is that you've got that limited pool of sorcery points And the only way that you can regain them is by resting. Well, sometimes it's a short rest Sometimes it's a long rest, but that's the only mechanic that there is to go ahead and regain them So that's one drawback. The other drawback is that if you notice these subclasses only give you three point uh, three it um, like levels, right? There's only three points where you gain additional skills and they're at different levels than say rogues, right? Rogues gain stuff at, was it four, eight and 12 or four, something like that, right? Versus or four, eight, 12 and 16. Sorry, excuse me. And then uh, these, the sorcerers gain them. So they gain them when they pick it up at level one. Um, and then you get 16, 6, 14, and 18. And so again, it's pushing a lot of the really strong powers for these for these subclasses to the higher levels, which we've talked about before, you know in a in a game that doesn't have a lot of higher level content pushing the major abilities of this class to the higher levels, those two things are out of are out of whack. I, I agree.
1: I uh, actually 100%. meant to comment earlier in this episode when, Ben had mentioned something about the higher high the higher level ability, the seventeenth level or the eighteenth level ability or what have you. Um, and it dawned on me when we rank things, I don't even pay attention to that ability. Most games don't go that far. In fact, I
2: yeah, often to, do you get it. I
1: yet to be in a game that went that far. In fact, I almost always multi-class my characters for at least three levels simply because I'm never getting over seventeen anyway, so why not? I don't actually Factor in whatever the 18th level ability is. I will note if it's particularly cool or interesting, but I've yet never been in a situation where it's ever come up in 5e. And I don't know any games that it, I don't personally know of games that have gone that far. I have a game I'm running that looks like it will go that far. My statement today is different than it would probably be a year from
0: now. It's, it's a non fact. I appreciate the setup again, because in the next subclass that we're going to talk about, we have the subclass that has what I think is probably the coolest 18th level ability of any of the subclasses that we've talked about here in the Sorcerer, and that's the Aberrant Mind. Okay, listeners, hear me for just a second. Y'all know that my love for psionics runs deep, It runs strong. If Wizards of the Coast came to me on my birthday and said, Josh, you have been playing our game for the bulk of your life. What is the one thing that we could give you to make your life complete? It would be 5th edition Dark Sun module. Print it, stamp it, mail it. It's what I want psionics are where it's at. I love psionic abilities. I love them, love them, I love them. And at 18th level, the Aberrant Mind Sorcerer, so it gets the same Misty Step power that the Shadow Magic does. It gets the ability to go ahead and Misty Step 120 feet, which is which is a, a hugely powerful Misty Step in the first place. But the difference between the Aberrant Mind and the Shadow Magic is that when the Aberrant Mind does it, it drops like, uh, was it 5d10 worth of damage when it does it? It's like three. It's like Some thunder damage or something for thirty feet. It? Any creature within thirty feet of when this when this creature and it costs, I think, uh, four or five sorcery points to do it. And an eighteenth level sorcerer has eighteen points, so it can do this four or five, uh, three or four times a day. That's stupid. It's great. Um, I thought that the aberrant mind I, this was easily <laughs> my favorite of the subclasses by by in order of magnitude. Uh, and it was because of how strong narratively they were and how strong their their uh their mechanics were. Revelation in flesh, which is the 14th level ability, we talked about how just disgusting in all the right ways the hexbloods were. Revelation in flesh is equally as disgusting with the types of narratively interesting things it allows an aberrant mind sorcerer to do 3d 10 force damage when it decides to step two or away at 120 feet oh two two and away. yeah that's what it is yeah that's right yeah
2: you could detonate as he leaves or as he arrives
1: Yeah. so i guess
0: i have to admit a bit
1: of bias here this was a previous ua and then became canon uh in tasha's there was also at one point a psionic wizard, which was UA, that was dropped because of lack of feedback from the fan base. I loved the wizard, the psionic wizard. I wished it had continued. Uh, I'm actually still playing one in a tabletop game run by uh, one of our friends, Mike, over at Basement Quest. And I love that wizard.
0: And we love those guys, too. It is hard
1: for me to acknowledge the, the, the this sorcerer because of how much I like the wizard version of it. If I'm being fair and logical, this is a fantastic class. It's very, or subclass. It is very well realized. It has all the nice bells and whistles. But at the end of the day, I really liked the wizard better. And I had the opportunity to choose one or the other when I was choosing that character. And I chose the other one. So that to me says something, which is why it ranked for me the way it did was because there was something about it that didn't sing to me. I can't tell you what that is because everything Josh said, I agree with. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume much of what Glenn is about to say, I'll agree with. But for whatever (laughs) reason, it didn't sing to me. Um, the wizard one did. And I don't know why. I wish, uh, I think it's my job as a podcaster, as a content creator, as a co-host on this show to actually have that answer. And I promise you at some point, I probably will have it figured out today as we're recording. I don't know why it just doesn't. It's better than many, but it just isn't singing right now.
0: All right, Glenn. So you ranked The Aberrant Mind the lowest possible score you could out of this entire matrix. Explain yourself, sir. Have at you.
2: That wasn't a statement or anything. I wasn't. All right. Yeah, it was. So i <sighs> got some self-realization and some self-growth that I probably need in this department. So I'm going to come out of the gate saying I'm probably wrong, but I don't care Nana. Okay, let's, let's wow. just start from there. There are two reasons why I don't like the in mind. First is I'm not a fan of psionics in D&D. I never have been. It's not that I don't like psionics. I've enjoyed psionics in Rifts and in another of um, other games. And this is where I'm being narrow-minded and where I probably need to rethink and give psionics a new shot. When they first introduced psionics to d and I really, really did not like the way that it played with the existing magic system. It was like this already worked. Why well, you why? Why are you breaking it? You know, why are you adding something else for my players to choose that, to me, did not work with the game? And I never looked back. I've never given Psionics and D anD D a second chance since then.
0: I will. I will give you credit for that. Psionics and Second Edition were hot garbage. They really. They really were. I kind of liked them. And if I didn't love them so much, I probably would. I probably would not have looked back either. Psionics and Second Edition were tough.
2: I just got my psionic kicks in other games, and I've left it out of D&D since then. So, I'm acknowledging that I'm being narrow-minded from that perspective, and okay, I'll put forth the efforts to give it another try. Maybe I'll update Future State if I try out one of the psionic characters in the new 5e. But the other reason is because they make me think of frickin' Skyrim, with the abomination guys that were always trying to seduce you into doing their will. And they talked with this horrible, slow speech and you couldn't fast forward through it. You will become my minion. And there were these big broiling masses of like, I don't know, shadow and brain matter and weirdness with these funky tentacles. And they were just creepy. And that's that to me is what the aberrant mind has made its deal with. And I'm, I'm out, I'm done at that point. I shut the door and moved on.
1: You know, I kind of think about that kind of thing where... where One of the things I loved about Psionics the most was, even in second edition, there became a point where anybody who played a wizard always had magic missile, and they always had these very specific spells that every wizard had. And somehow, if you didn't have those you weren't a real wizard or you weren't that good. And I always railed against that. Like I always played the wizard that took lightning spells versus fire spells. Like I've actually played very few wizards that have had fireball because everybody does it. It's it, to me, it just felt very pedestrian. It's like everybody does it. And that's not a detriment on fireball. It's not a detriment on wizards that use it or players that use it. Uh, I play in a game where my buddy Jake uses fireball. Like it's his job. Um and his character's name is Firebrand and that's what he does and it's amazing and I can tell you that I love him doing that so I don't think it's a bad thing it's just that I always I always go for an angle even if I play something exceptionally tropey I go for an angle that's slightly different so for me playing uh, a psionicist in a game that has very few or has had very few is like a badge of cur- a badge of honor and a badge of courage you know using mind silver instead of magic missile. Or instead of Eldritch Blast, or instead of uh, Fire Bolt, uh, are really cool things to me. I like, I love that spell because it's different. I, as a storyteller, love playing around with sound and light and restraints and grapples. So having a spell that doesn't have a material component or a verbal component is something that I factor into my games like, well, you're restrained or there's a silence spell or there's what are you going to do? The person who uses Mind Sliver, don't give a oot. <laughs> they're going to hit you. The person using Magic Missile, they've got to do the oogie boogie and wave their hands and say the words and everybody knows they did it. You got the person with Mind Sliver, a little deception or a little duck and cover. They're tagging people and they don't even know where it came from. And I love that element about uh, that spell. These type of spells, these type of characters. I think uh, an aberrant soul sorcerer is great when uh, do a class with some form of rogue or uh, some form of something that uh, ha- that does really well in the realm of Skullduggery.
0: Yeah, but why would you? Why would you multiclass in that point instead of just taking like the telepathic feat? If I mean, I guess how many how many levels of sorcerer are you going to pick up in that case to
2: add to your rogue? And that's the downside of trying to pick one of these things for flavor is you got to invest in them to get yeah, to those exactly. abilities. It's not like just taking a feat once.
1: Honestly, for a rogue, I'd probably do it for two, and then go the rest of it w- with this. And I may even start with the rogue so I get the skills, and then and then go with this. Like if I did one rogue, then did a, and and get those. So now I've even got some extra dice in there with my sneak attacks. Which you're almost always going to get because now you're attacking with with with, with your mind. That type of thing. actually, I think that has to be a weapon. So maybe not in that case, but but I do think that there are some neat combinations that you can do with this.
2: And I think sorcerer was a class that was built to multi-class with. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, it's like that ultimate like. Universal spiral piece for the final hero DNA. You can add it to anything.
0: Th- three levels of sorcerer when you start getting into meta magic adds so much to any pretty much any character. Okay, so we are down to one more subclass um, and. I think had we thought about it, we may have switched this one and The Aberrant Mind around a little bit because there was so much great discussion on The Aberrant Mind, but that's okay. Last one in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is the Clockwork Soul, uh, which, again, when we talked about the the classes in Tasha's, um, I sang the praises of this subclass uh, when we talked about the Tasha's classes all those months ago, Lee Wanika. Yes. Um, because I still do really like the flavor of... Of this subclass, I think that the subclass has some really interesting stuff, and so I ranked it really high on my wild card and playability scales. But the mechanics and the narrative stuff, I think they're very middle of the road compared to some of the other the other subclasses that are in here. Um, in a class like the sorcerer, which has so much narrative strength from stem to stern, it needed more. It needed more good juju to separate it from the other subclasses in my mind so you know that's just kind of that's how i felt about it. so i'm in 100
1: percent agreement with you i think in the three plus months at the time of the recording this episode that we've been doing the podcast i have learned a lot about this game i would say in these three three plus months i've learned whatever i learned in the year and a half to two years prior to Doing this podcast that I've been playing five e, I've doubled that knowledge just in the last three months um, through careful study, preparation for the podcast, conversations with other podcasters, uh, uh, brainstorming and spitballing ideas off of the two of you, uh, just the work we've been doing at content creation. I'm learning more every every day, and so just from when we recorded those Tasha's episodes back in the waning days of November 2020, uh my opinion on the Clockwork Soul has diminished slightly, but not my drive to want to play it. Like, I think everything you said is accurate. The flavor, the my want to play it is all there, uh, but my understanding of the mechanics has so changed and improved and been added to that I have a better understanding that some of these things sound better than they actually play. And because of that, it actually has dropped. When I rank it in comparison to uh, features for other subclasses, it dropped, lost a lot, of, uh, a lot of ground. Similarly, when I look at its flavor, I think more of the flavor was not on the page. I think it was in my head. I think it was just enough to give me this visual. The three of us were talking earlier about a product that we're working on, that has a lot of this flavor in it in fact the big bad evil guy in that thing is going to be one of these and uh and i'm not changing that because i do love it but i think the fact was it sparked me to think about that but that wasn't on the page and so if we're being honest in how we rank we're ranking what's on the page um
0: we ranked the name not the page so i gave
1: it wild card for drawing my attention and my and giving me the inspiration but the actual uh flavor and mechanics, fair to midland.
2: And like the Aberrant Mind, I pretty much thought it was crap. I didn't <laughs> rank it. I didn't rank it quite that low. Um, but it's got huge potential. I don't understand why they have to like take the potential and pinch it until it's focused through something that now can narrow what it could have been. I don't know if that made any sense, but all right, check it out. So why the clockwork soul? That just seems so oddly specific. I'm digging on the concepts of the elemental planes of law and order and chaos and maybe come up with a you don't want to call it a luck sorcerer or whatever but you call it a balance sorcerer or something like that that has to do with that aspect of it and you can flavor it the dm could flavor it the player could flavor it however they want if they want it to be clockwork and have gears and clock hands in their eyes that's cool if they want to instead have hourglasses or you know some other form of effect that shows some kind of difference law and order and chaos depending on what they're influencing at the time and then create the abilities of the class to nudge that scale. So they could nudge in favor of one way or the other, giving somebody advantage or not, or adding chaos to a situation to reduce odds. And I think that there was so much potential for creating some kind of a class here that wasn't so steampunk, steampunk central, because that's, I have trouble getting past that. It just, it takes me to steampunk and I like steampunk, but that's not the style of D I usually play.
1: So I think the answer to your question is why they got it into that narrow focus is because there's a piece of the story and the lore that's on the page that you may not be aware of. So when they talk about the plane of Mechanus, they don't go into the details there, but Mechanus is just that it's a bunch of automatons that took over an entire plane of existence. Yeah, Me- okay. Mechanus exactly. is a realm In the same fashion as the Feywild. So the clockwork soul is literally the same thing as a Fey sorcerer or the same thing as a Shadowfell sorcerer for a mechanical realm.
2: So it's connecting to a specific realm. Yes. All right. Now it makes sense. You're right. I didn't get that. I yep. didn't get that. Mechanus was like the Faye Wilder Shadowfell.
0: Uh, this is f- another one of the crossovers, right? This is. I this was is thinking of it was more of a, a
2: cosmic thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's a it, it's a warlock with a clockwork patron. Yeah, is what this yeah.
2: is. So, okay. and, and
1: I think this uh, illuminates. Maybe it should be a, a warlock, bit of a failure uh, on the creative team as far as their understanding of the patrons, we've done a number of things in our podcast where uh, Josh will say, I'm not the comic book guy. Leonica, you are, Um, or Glenn, you know a lot about these comics and Glenn will go into great detail with Batman and the things that he knows or has great familiarity with. Uh, If you want to talk Buffy lore and all that, talk to Glenn. He's got it, you know, because he has that, that basis. I happen to know about mechanics from, multiple games in Planescape and then uh, versions of that playing 30. And my understanding is it was much bigger in 4E than it is currently.
2: Yeah, I didn't play any 4E. Yeah,
1: and (laughs) I know about Mechanis again, from my research uh, uh, and my listening to other podcasts. Basically, there was a whole episode on Mechanis and some of those elements that I listened to on a podcast from the Dungeon Cast. Those guys did a great job on that topic, uh, where it came up with that. So I knew about mechanics. It is something that I've been working on and working with in my head, trying to figure out ways to incorporate and saw this immediately.
2: You're playing a warforged in one of the games we're in. Yeah,
1: and I, yeah, exactly. I play a warforged. And so, uh, and I've been introducing, uh, clockwork, uh, things into my current campaign as well. So I saw this as. I know exactly where this fits in the game I'm running now. Right. I know how to incorporate it. So it really spoke to me uh, because I knew that lore um, where I think. Yeah. And I think where Wizards Coast failed is they made the assumption that everybody knew that lore and I don't think they added enough there. There is enough information on the Feywild, but this was the first thing I've seen to date from Wizards having to do with this. And there was no lead up. They gave just as much information on the, on the, on mechanics here as they would do with a Feywild thing. And yet we've never had 15 other books about the uh, about mechanics. So I think that's, they dropped the ball there or something ended up on the editing room floor. One or the other. Maybe both
2: and that may have been that probably biased my uh, my review cuz i lacked that piece of information and having it maybe i'll give it a second shot but i really felt that it was flat in general anyway so but i could see the narrative potential if that was in my story right now i'd have done the exact same thing i'd have lashed onto that spun it around and worked it right in so when you're in the right narrative place which is kind of what i was saying at the beginning my prediction was that all of these could be wicked cool and we could all work great stories around them if my story was specific enough, or in the running in the vein that worked with it, so it was, our differences were going to be about what stories we were currently running. And the Clockwork Soul, it just didn't speak to me. So let's put a
0: cap on this because uh, you know I think that uh, we have we've pulled what we wanted to out of these subclasses. Um, yeah. Liwanika, any final words? Before I do, do final words, I
1: did want to give everybody. We're going to put it in the graphics on the page, but I did want to let everybody know that Tabletop journeys ranked. Our lowest ranked sorcerer subclass as Shadow Magic, followed by the Draconic Bloodline, followed by the Clockwork Soul. Right in the middle, Wild Magic.
2: Wild Magic.
1: Uh, yeah. Aberrant Mind uh, was on the higher end. Storm Sorcerer came in number two. And the one that we all agreed was great, but it had that very significant, important asterisk make sure you're talking with your players about it session zero or your dungeon masters to make sure you're not stepping on toes is the divine soul sorcerer. So rising to the top on angel wings, we have the divine soul sorcerer.
2: We should do an episode on roles and making sure everybody has their moment to shine and not making sure your players don't step on each other's toes by accident.
1: I think we absolutely should. My final thoughts were, I love the sorcerer class. I would be willing to play any of these save wild magic in, in a campaign that had the role necessary. If the decision was I'm going to play a sorcerer and they're like, well, what kind of sorcerer are you going to play? I would then say, I'll play the sorcerer, let all the other roles fill and let me know about the campaign. And I could pick the one that best fits the campaign. That's yep. how I personally, I, would I think that's valid. Yeah. and I think yep. it's beautiful that they have enough diversity within this class to be able to do that.
2: All right, Glenn. I think narratively speaking, the sorcerer class in general has one of the most potentially influential roles in building your campaign because its background, no matter which one you choose, has so much depth into it and so much vibrance that you can bring into your campaign. You'd be a fool not to. Um, And it's not to say that you can't with every other class, but when you're talking about a cleric, it brings with it the established pantheon of whatever deities are in your world and that that person. But, you know, wild magic can come from all over the place. It, there's so many more different ways you can you can use it. I think that the Sorcerer is a really cool class, and I think it's the ultimate tack-on class for cross-classing just to get, you know, a couple of extra abilities to broaden your skill set a little bit.
0: The last thing that I will say about this is that... Um, Taken right from the description of the sorcerers, that they are rare, and that almost all sorcerers that are known to exist are adventurers of some sort. I am really glad that they didn't put out any of the subclasses that were the solitary loner who lived in the woods by themselves, mm-hmm. ca- you know, catering to their own patch of mushrooms that didn't like outsiders because like, you know, we saw that in the rogues, we saw it in the Rangers and we didn't see that here. And I think that that's, that is a good thing that we did not see it. So, well,
2: sorcerers are charisma based. They want to be out there in the open and have people admire them.
0: It's a well-crafted class. All right, everybody. Thank you so very much for listening. Uh, so we're going to be doing one of these class episodes at least once a month. So uh, make sure that you are watching us uh, on Twitter and on Facebook for the next poll that comes out. We'll be asking uh, shortly about which one we should be doing in Thank March. you for joining us. Until this has then, been
2: Tabletop Journey. Let us know your thoughts. Yes. We would love, love to hear your feedback on our
0: show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
2: And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys.
1: If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series, where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented.
0: Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path,
1: we bid you shade and sweet water.